Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen. The scripture for our message this morning, the first lesson we heard, Genesis 3, verses 8 through 15. Dear friends in Christ, where are you? Those were the Lord's very first words spoken to freshly fallen Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And yet, in a way, you and I could also answer that question ourselves. Because the biblical account of the fall into sin is really also a picture of our personal struggle with sin and constant falling into sin. You and I could say, yes, Lord, Adam is right here. Or Eve is right here. When we see Adam and Eve hiding from God, passing the buck when they do wrong, we raise our hand right along with them, don't we? But please don't think that this account is just bad news. Because the scripture says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And when God asked, where are you? He was the first one to answer the question. You are lost in sin. You are sought by me and found by me. Our text picks up the story of our first parents after their sin against God. And you recall that Adam and Eve had just one command and one temptation. The Lord said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And Satan had fed them the worst kind of half-truth. He said, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, they ate. And what do they know? They know that God is good. They know that they were good. And now they know they are evil. They had doubted God and his word. They disobeyed his one and only command. And God would have been perfectly just to just turn them into a smoldering heap of ashes. But instead, we read, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? You realize God was calling out to Adam and to all future sinners with exactly what we need to learn. You and I cannot hide from God. He knows our deepest, most secret, sinful thoughts. He knows the words I yell when I'm all alone in the car. He knows those deeds that I think no one has ever noticed. So what in the world could be more foolish than to try to hide those things from God? What could be more foolish than for me not to come to him and admit my sin and plead for his mercy? And yet, in our own way, we still try our own way. And what an amazing testimony that when Adam and Eve did not seek God, 
God sought them. He knew what Adam and Eve needed most. He knew that they needed to face their sin and admit it and receive his mercy and forgiveness. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam was willing to admit he was afraid, but he was not willing to admit why he was afraid. And you realize nothing has changed to today. Kids, have you ever been afraid of going to school or afraid of your teachers, not because teachers are some horrible monsters or school is a prison, but because you're afraid because you didn't do your homework. You're afraid because you didn't study for that test. Adults, have you ever avoided a friend because you gossiped about them behind their back and they found out? And you didn't want to face it? Sin can't be healed until we acknowledge it. And God wanted healing for Adam and Eve. And so we asked another question. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Adam is still not ready to take full responsibility for his actions. And so he picks two scapegoats. First, the easy one, the woman. And do you realize what sin does to marriage? To the closest relationships we have in our life, just one chapter earlier, when Adam met Eve, he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, the one for me. And now she's just the woman. We don't have to go far. How easily love and romance can be shattered by unresolved sin or blaming each other for marriage or family problems. And then you and I live in a world of sinners full of imperfect people. There is always someone I can find to blame for my faults. There's always someone I can find to point at and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. And one of my profs, I think he very wisely observed this. He said, we often reckon the sins we don't commit, the ones we see in others, as more serious than the ones we do commit. But you notice Adam didn't stop by pointing fingers at Eve. He said, the woman you put here with me. He actually blamed God. And God did put this all together, right? And the natural question everyone wants to ask is, of course, well, why did God put that tree in the garden and why did he let Satan tempt Adam and Eve? The simplest answer is, Adam and Eve, yes, they were perfect. But what does it mean to be perfect if you have no other choice? if you're never tempted to do anything but be perfect. 
I mean, if someone gave me the command, never drive more than 55 miles an hour on Mars, I could keep that perfectly, right? But from here to Brilliant or here to Mishakot, that might be a different story. To be perfect means to turn aside real sin and turn aside real temptation. For Adam and Eve to be perfect meant to love and trust and obey the Lord and his word. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now when God asked the same question of Eve, she responded as Adam did, but with a twist. The, the serpent deceived me. She was getting closer to the truth, but not the whole truth. She was struggling with the question of, why did I sin? And that's something you and I struggle with all the time, don't we? Why in the world is it that the same sin trips me up again and again and again? Or why is it that in this specific situation, I'm always tempted to doubt God? Did I learn that from my parents? Was it a bad experience I had when I was a child? We want to know those things so we can avoid sin. But the most important thing is not why, but what? And that's exactly what God asked. And the most important thing for us to know and to do is to admit it. To say, yes, I did it. And just as we finally hear from both Adam and Eve, they say, yes, I ate it. And our loving God brought Adam and Eve to that point so they could be healed of their sin and shame. And our loving God does exactly the same for you. He does not leave you alone. Even when you think you're alone. He gives you a conscience. He built that in to help us sit up and take notice and face our sin. He gives us Christian friends. He gives us his word, most importantly, both read and remembered. He gives us Christian pastors and teachers. He tells us, you are so lost, but you are so loved and sought and found by me. And now, ironically, God's beautiful healing promise is spoken to the serpent. It's spoken to Satan right in the presence of Adam and Eve and written down for us by the great prophet Moses. He said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And then to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There are plenty of creatures that live on or in the ground. And a snake is not an especially sinful or wicked creature. 
But God made the snake, cursed it to crawl on the ground and eat dust as a constant reminder to all human beings of how we fell into sin and how God overcame it. The snake will eat dust and Satan will bite the dust. That's the long and short of it. And then he promised that there would always be enmity that is fighting between the believing children of Eve and the unbelieving offspring of Satan. And that's why it is that the Bible reminds you and me that we are aliens and strangers in this sinful world. And it reminds us so clearly that even though we hear a lot of sinful stuff around us, there's a much bigger picture. Ephesians tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Then he concludes with this promise spoken to Satan. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There will be one single descendant of Eve who would crush Satan's head, crush the power of Satan, and in the process, he would be wounded. And without a doubt, Jesus is that one. He was a descendant of Eve, a full-blooded human being like you and me, who faced every temptation of life and faced it perfectly. And he was also God the Son, who could be wounded in that deadly way and still triumph. We know those promises. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. And it's really the Apostle John who gives us the the simplest, bluntest bottom line. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's So with the very first sin, the Lord promised victory over sin and Satan. Jesus was that descendant of Eve. Jesus was the one who won the victory and offers the fruits of that victory over Satan to you and to me. Those fruits are absolutely free and full forgiveness and a new nature that lives in believers and actually delights to do God's will. And that's why it is that God is so unrelenting in seeking us out. So unrelenting in his love coming to us when we sin. Granted, we try our own ways, don't we? We try to pass the buck, we try to make excuses But God still seeks you and seeks me. Where are you? What did you do? Don't you know how lost you are? Don't you know how much I love you and seek you and find you? Amen.